like scary movies? Uh-huh. I'm getting ready to watch a video. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. What's, what's, what's your favorite? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is not just one of the three people who beat my butt on the Friendsman Friends trivia off. He's also my pal and the host of Movie Time with Dace on Twitch. That's him. Please welcome Dace. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going pretty good. How are you doing, George? Thanks for having me on. Doing great. It's a beautiful day in Philly, a beautiful day to talk about horror. I'm very excited. Uh, and and this movie in particular, uh, I'm very excited to talk about because uh, in addition to just being very good, I also find it pretty interesting. So I'm looking forward to getting into this one and talking about it. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about just your history with horror in general? Horror for me, I got to say, I kind of shied away from it for a while. I remember seeing the uh, parts of the made for TV uh, It, Stephen mm. King's It as a kid. Probably a little too young. and That's the one. <laughs> it definitely scarred me for a while. And then it probably wasn't, I guess, like, middle school is probably when, like, Scream came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was always a big kind of, um, like, a sleepover movie, you know, with uh, friends. And definitely, but my mom, like, I remember trying to rent from Dust Till Dawn once. And my mom was like, <laughs> no, you, you can't rent that. Like, too young. And I was just like, what? It's a vampire movie. And then I kind of stopped for a while again because it either was like a bunch of, I thought of horror as kind of just a bunch of like silly jump scares. That's like, oh, that's not scary. It's just like, it, it felt like kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I appreciate it now. but And then it went into kind of the, the gore porn, you know, saw. And uh, I remember seeing like the devil's rejects and stuff like that. Right. Later, I remember seeing like something like Cabin in the Woods, more of like kind of that kind of like Scream, where it's kind of that meta like comedy horror kind of thing. Yeah. And then recently really started to dive in some earlier stuff, kind of more campy stuff and uh, really loving it. Hell yeah. So we always ask about favorite subgenre. Would you say that that is your favorite subgenre, that kind of meta narrative comedy infused kind of thing? I mean, maybe like 10 years ago, I think I probably lean heavier towards more of the like 80s campy kind of pulpy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I really got into like Stuart Gordon in the last few years. Stuff like Hell that. yeah. My man Stu doesn't miss. Yeah, never. <laughs> so good. But yeah, I think I'd stick towards some of that stuff, like stuff you've never heard of. And you're like, how did this even get made? What is I? I'll come up with a few others. But uh, yeah, Stuart Gordon always sticks out for me. Yeah, he did. Um, oh, what was the name of that witch movie he did? The like woman who gets like burned as a witch, swallows a bunch of gunpowder, and turns herself into a bomb. Oh my god, I don't know if I've seen that one actually. Oh my god, it's fucking crazy. I'm gonna have to look it up and figure out what that. But uh, it was like the um, Inquisition, Inquisition movie. Let's see what comes out. Oh, it was an adaptation of The Pit and the Pendulum. Oh, okay, it was incredible. Totally recommend. Uh, it was like a great romance. It, it it doesn't hew as strictly horror as a lot of his movies do, but it's still got that Stuart Gordon flair, baby. Oh, yeah. Big recommendation on The Pit and the Pendulum. But the movie we are talking about today leans right into that same kind. It actually kind of blends those two subgenres that you were talking about there. We're talking about Psycho Gorman, the 2021 release written and directed by Stephen Kostansky. 
Beyond his solo career, also notably part of the Canadian group Astron 6, are you generally a fan of his work? Is this kind of the movie that introduced you to him and sticks out? What is your level of interest in Kostansky? I, I didn't know too much about Kostansky other than I guess he's friends with someone that actually shows up in this movie that has a movie podcast themselves. And they talked about it back in 2019 or something, 2020, when it was like getting ready to release. And so I just checked it out. And it was one of those movies where I, I felt like the cool guy that uh, got to show other people. And they're like, where did you find this? Like, how did you hear about this? And it, everyone that I've shown it to has always, always really enjoyed it or loved it. I had been hearing about Astron six movies for a long time, but this was the first one of his. Oh, no, I had seen The Void as well. I had seen The Void, uh, which I do like, but this one did have kind of like a huge footprint. It made a splash with the tastemakers and uh, and they sort of filtered it out to people in a way that was really interesting. But it does also still keep those Astron six roots in a way that I uh, really enjoy as well. Now having in research gone back and watched a few of those older ones as well. To give a little context, Astron 6 is a fun but now sadly defunct collective, or I mean, I guess they're uh, on hiatus is probably more truthful than defunct, but their roots go back to Matt Kennedy and Connor Sweeney making movies together in high school under their own production company called Graypoint Films. Uh, And then they went to the Winnipeg Short Film Massacre, where they met Adam Brooks, Jeremy Gillespie, and our boy Steven founding the collective and together composed several $10,000 budget area tributes to the movies they grew up on, but importantly, also had the chops to add something new. Like in Father's Day, they sort of reversed a lot of the genre gender norms and stuff. There is usually some kind of meta commentary about the genre itself or just people's reactions to them in a way that does keep it from feeling just like a stale retread of the older stuff that we've seen a thousand times that they're referencing. Then in 2014, they released the editor and sort of drifted a little bit. Kostansky would build on his reputation as an effects powerhouse uh, working on movies like Crimson Peak. He even apparently did the makeup for a single episode of Nirvana, the band of the show, which is a show that I love. Yeah, he's done some cool – I look back and he did some cool stuff. Like uh, I guess Hannibal. He, he did an effect in Mandy, uh, the Nicolas oh, Cage yeah. movie, where I guess he did like Nicolas Cage's melted face or something. Like just oh, came in sick. for one one <laughs> thing in that, you know, like he's kind of has left his mark here and there and does a lot of his own uh, – makes a lot of his own monsters and all that stuff, which is really cool too. Yeah, came in for a celeb shot, knocked it out of the park. Ashron 6 did put out another web series that got cut short and a short film called Chow Boys in 2019, but Kostansky has made a name for himself as a director thanks to the effects-heavy 2016 movie he directed with Jeremy Gillespie called The Void. Like I said, I do like The Void. It's pretty rad, and I think it does do a good job of bridging the divide between the Ashron 6 work and Psycho Goreman, uh, sort of leveraging the deep knowledge of genre hallmarks but also being able to build on it in a slightly higher budget way without losing that independent that independent vibrance like it it really does blend them together in such an interesting way because for a lot of independent filmmakers having uh increased budget can be almost a drawback like in in the Astron 6 movies the homemade quality is like half of the enjoyment basically yeah. <laughs> and so for them for him to be able to manage the the 
increased budgets, which are not increased so insanely. Like they're not, we're not talking Top Gun here. Yeah. It's, it's more than $10,000 that they're yeah. making their movies <laughs> earlier with. Exactly. Exactly. And that effects experience that he and his team have then let them put an estimated 500,000 Canadian dollars worth of creature effects on screen for PG for about $50,000 Canadian. So about a tenth of the actual cost of the effects. And he talked about how hiring himself was ultimately more of a practical decision than a creative one. He wasn't like, I'm the only one who can do it. It was more like, I can exploit my own labor for cheap. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get to use what I know to pretty much stretch our dollar even more to like make actually something look really good for way cheaper than any other studio would be able to do. Someone who is willing to do that is also demonstrating a passion for the project that I think also does seep into the other elements and even demonstrate it to the crew. You know, say like they say, oh, this is something that he's passionate about. I should really be putting my all into it. I just watched the Dr. Caligula movie from 89, and there was an interesting interview from the director who talked about doing something very similar. And it does help to create sort of a fully fleshed out vision, I think, mm -hmm. because he can not have to communicate his ideas to a second party. He can just say, here's what I'm seeing. Let me create as close to that as possible. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a lot of another kind of older campy movie by the Chiodo brothers. That's right. Kind of like killer clowns from outer space where it's like they could make their own puppets, their own monsters, all that, and just save a bunch on budget where they could, I guess, focus it elsewhere or, you know. Right. Or just not have hey, actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which if you're going to exploit workers, you might as well if exploit yourself. Don't exploit That's other right. people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kostansky was just watching Rawhead Rex when he was struck by the idea of mashing it up with E.T., an evil alien warlord monster that befriends two kids and goes on adventures. And you can even see E.T.'s thumbprint in the full name of the movie, which is PG Psycho Goreman. Yep. A Torontonian financier bought into the Kostansky brand pretty immediately and, and greenlit this pitch. And Stephen talked about how it wasn't like he didn't have ideas or ha like have input into what was happening. But he also was interested in seeing what Kostansky could do with the movie. Like he was there to see his vision. And so that was really helpful. Kostansky talked about how this was not only rare in general, but even for him, uh, he had to go through a huge pitching and marketing process for The Void to get it made and basically had a miserable time with it. Yeah, it sounded like he was very happy that he just had a guy in Toronto for this, that he's just like, I don't have to go through the whole process. <laughs> I I talked to this guy and he's like, yeah, sure. What? Here you go. I'm in. I'm in. The influence this movie is taking cues from include, among others, your classic 80s and 90s adventure slash coming of age family movies like Last Starfighter and Terminator 2. Got some splatter films in there, and most, well, maybe not most importantly, but pretty vividly, the tokusatsu shows and movies of Japan, whose subgenres include kaijus like uh, Godzilla, superheroes like Kamen Rider, and some that blend both, like Super Sentai, which became Power Rangers. Basically, anything that's live action and practical effects heavy in a way that it's a full part of the movie and not just mm -hmm. like a nice accent. And this yeah. delivers on that in spades. Think think big rubber suits that look cool as hell. And, uh, <laughs> hell and yeah. 
he does them really well. Like usually a lot of the times you see these, like some of those older versions, like say uh, Power Rangers, where it's like, it looks kind of cheesy, some of those suits, but uh, the detail in some of these that he makes here in a Psycho Goreman just looks so good. Yeah. It's really kind of crazy how they're incredibly detailed, but in a way that enhances the like look of cheapness it's like it's a weird like an oxymoron almost i mean i i won't get to what i have to say at the end but i mean there's a beautiful balance to so much stuff in this movie mm-hmm. and that's part of it for sure um steven said i'm a very action-oriented filmmaker so i'm always thinking in terms of action and what the spectacle is what the trailer might look like and build out from that and i think this does make sense you know in these movies and and in PG in particular, you're going to have to fight some guys to keep this interesting. What does that look like? Who are the characters that come out of that? It's a really pivotal thing that people might be like, oh, you should think about the story first. But ultimately, the action is what's keeping people engaged in a, in a movie of this style a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I actually heard a fun anecdote from him when he was actually talking about the, the movie Critters. And he was kind of jealous of the design of the critters in that movie in which the movement of them, they just become a ball of fur and just fly around the screen. (laughs) And he was very jealous because he, at the time he was working on like some, you know, a puppet of some sort. And the hardest part of making a puppet is how do you get them to move around the screen? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and in this, I mean, there aren't really, uh, puppets as much as you know big rubber suits but i thought that was interesting hearing from him where he's you know just his his thought process of like when he sees something like all right how does how is it going to move on screen how am i going to get it to move on screen you know the whole process sure you know execution has to meet concept at some point Mm -hmm. the titular character is physically played by matthew ninaber with steven vlahos providing the voice He's a lot of fun, and maybe this is kind of like a no-shit thing, but the movie does live and die by him, even with all of the focus on Mimi. Like, ostensibly, Mimi is the main character, Mm -hmm. even with PG being the title character. Yeah. But without him being an effective straight man... I Kind of ironically that this, like, giant, (laughs) grotesque, murderous alien is the straight man, but... For him to pull that off is so important, like you said, to balance the insane absurdism of the other characters. I and it's and that the fact that the humans are the absurd ones is something yeah. that makes this so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays a straight guy well, and is plays a great balance with Mimi, who I get into is just yeah, a, quite an absurd, awesome like child actor. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of an interesting challenge for Matt as an actor to have to act expressively enough to get through all of the latex, but also keep PG stoic enough to like be that straight person. Just kind of an interesting, interesting role, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, uh, I also, uh, he was in so much makeup there and like latex and everything. He was always the first one there every morning and the last one to leave because yeah. just by necessity <laughs> yeah by necessity and to the point where i mean there's like a funny little uh of another anecdote where it's like by the end of shooting like everyone on set didn't actually recognize <laughs> matthew ninabar when he was out of the latex because they just came in when he was in the latex and they left before he got out of it 
Nita Josie Hanna plays Mimi to perfection, as you say. It's a real fine line to walk, to play a purposefully annoying character while still making her someone we care about. And this character has a real, like, Chihuahua syndrome thing going on, where she's, like, psychotically narcissistic, but tiny, so everyone just laughs it off. <laughs> yeah. I, I She plays it so well, because at first, when I first started watching this movie, I was like, oh no, like... It's this kind of child actor. But then once you realize that, it's like, oh, no, she's playing that. Yeah, she's uh, in on it. Yeah, and and she just does it so well and plays it so big. Right. And beyond even just PG, you can see how this is sort of balanced out by the spineless brother, the father in Arrested Development, and a mother juggling too many plates. You know, you have this bizarre family that is is just quite quite the group, quite the group. <laughs> These are Owen Meyer as Luke, her brother, Adam Brooks as Greg, the dad, and Alexis Hansi as Susan, the mom. Uh, all do a great job with roles that are not as flashy as Mimi and PG. Yeah, just very, I mean, not flat, but like just very dry, I guess, for the most mm -hmm. part until right. as the movie goes along, it gets a little less so, but. Right. They like barely engage with the insanity of there being a monstrous alien there. <laughs> <laughs> About Nita. Steven said, we did a lot of auditions. It was definitely a big concern going into the movie. On page, it all read great, and everyone was excited about the idea of this crazy little girl being our protagonist. But finding somebody that could pull that off definitely had the producers nervous. Nita was one of our first auditions. Even though her audition performance wasn't exactly what I was looking for, I could tell there was a level of professionalism there that I wasn't getting from the other auditions. So we had her come back for subsequent auditions, and every time I talked her through the role, she just got better and better. And I mean, I think that that is the sign of a great actor is being able to adapt with what the director is looking for. And with such a, I mean, kind of thankless role in a way, because there you look online, a lot of the reviews are just like, oh, this kid fucking sucks. I hate her. Child actors are a nightmare. And as you said, it's clear that this is a performance. This is something that she is leaning into. Yeah, I've seen those things online. And it's one of those where it's like, for the first five minutes, I get what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, no, she's she's awesome. Like, I bought all in on, on yeah. her performance. Right. I do also want to shout out the score done by Blitz Berlin, a trio of Canadian composers who do a great job of getting the vibe of this right. Uh, that is also really important because it's not so over the top that it's in your face and obnoxious it's it's just the right level of obnoxious 80s synth and and all that jazz it's where really it's actually great. fun i mean yeah. i was actually watching this movie earlier today and my roommate heard it from the other room and i just got like a text message that's just like frig off because like, <laughs> that movie that music like video random music video in the middle of the movie <laughs> is so much fun it really is and it's i think very easy to go too far with pastiche and to make it be like, all right, I get it. You're, you're, you've gone too far. You're winking too much. I think this is good enough on its own without the homage stuff to be like, yeah, this is why it's working so well. Yeah. It's a solid enough song on its own, but then also seeing PG playing the drums in the background and, <laughs> you know, a giant brain blob, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> playing the keyboards. It's so, what else it's so a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> It was delayed by COVID, not the shooting. They they finished right before COVID, but the release of it was delayed by COVID, ultimately having its first screening at Beyond Fest in 2020 
and even won Best Narrative Feature at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Shout out to Philly. Hell yeah. Go <laughs> Philly. Go Birds. Go Birds. After the festival run, RLJE Films plus Shudder grabbed the distribution rights, putting it on VOD at the same time as 45 theaters, where they made just under 100 k domestically on a budget that converts to around $670,000 USD. And that doesn't really communicate the success of the movie, though. And one thing I find kind of interesting about PG is that it really kind of reminds you of how similar the streaming boom is to the advent of like consumer VHS players that allowed movies to not be aimed at recouping that budget in theaters, but rather <laughs> just getting out to the people and having like merchandise and, and home video options and the licensing for that streamer you know, is, is a wholly legitimate way of making money on a movie, even if it doesn't, even if it makes what a fifth of the budget that it had in theaters. Well, yeah, I mean, what is released? You said in 45 theaters, I didn't even know it was released in theaters. I thought it was fully streaming. And, uh, I'd say probably everyone I've met that, that has watched (laughs) this movie is through streaming and has either paid for it or through their subscription. So I mean, it, it, it works out. Hopefully. I mean, there's, I've heard there might be talks of a sequel. We'll see. We'll see. Here's something that I also found kind of interesting. This has had a pretty positive reception right out of the gate, which is kind of rare for horror comedies, which tend to have to build a cult following, find the people with whom the sense of humor strikes a, like the right nerve. But people correctly liked this one right out of the gate, which I thought was just kind of interesting and atypical. I, I mean, it's... a kind of perfectly built for cult audiences where it like the word of mouth doesn't have to take that long because it's like, it's pretty much billed as that. Right. So I feel like it's, you know, it, it goes, maybe moves a little quicker in, uh, in getting that reception, I guess. And about the comedy, Steven said, my writing process is mostly me just procrastinating, playing video games, sculpting monsters, doing chores, anything to avoid the actual work. I didn't fully approach the movie as a comedy, A lot of the humor is fallout from me being passionate about very dumb stuff, which led to the movie being as absurd as it is. It helped that the cast were all super charming and knew how to inject heart and humor into every scene. More was just like, oh, I want to make these goofy parts that I love as authentic as possible. And that translates into comedy on the screen. Yeah. And then you have the actors just reacting to that goofiness and right. you get acting is reacting that's what they say <laughs> <laughs> and so then you get some comedy just out of that as well like mm-hmm. the dad even though so dry but just like so many random like one-off lines that you're like where yeah. did that come from but it's very funny all right so let's get into the actual movie first things first if you're gonna do the homage you gotta hit the opening scroll baby oh yeah it tells us that many moons ago on the distant planet of Gygax, D&D co-creator reference, a nameless evil reigned supreme. This ruthless being had amassed power beyond measure and was preparing to strike down all that was good and just in the universe. Before he could fulfill his dark destiny, the forces of light banded together and in their most desperate hour toppled the Dark One from his throne. He was imprisoned in a place far beyond reach. For if he were ever to be released, it would spell certain doom for all existence. Pan up to Earth. <laughs> oh, shit. We're in immediately. Boom. You get it. 
This transitions to two young siblings, Mimi and Luke, having a champion of the universe title match of Crazy Bull in the backyard. Loser gets buried alive. Serious stakes here. <laughs> this, of course, kind of reminds me of Calvin Ball from Calvin and Hobbes, just being a kid and having a dumbass game that you make up with esoteric scoring systems that don't make any sense. Capturing that feeling of childhood so quickly, I think, does help get you on board for the tone of the movie in a crucial way. So many people have kind of had that, you know, experience of like making up just like a game in the backyard. Right. And it, no, the points oh, I'm matter, adding this rule that lets me win, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like true. just using your imagination in all these different ways. And like, yeah, it really hones in on, on the, the childhood memories, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Luke does lose. She even warned him about the switcheroo. So rookie mistake. And he gets to digging his grave. And they unearth a glowing gem affixed to a stone with a button code protecting it. And luckily, Mimi gets it right on the first try, which they acknowledge in a way that really made me laugh. <laughs> it was just like, wow, first try. I mean, <laughs> also very funny that they literally dig a huge hole for yeah. her to bury him in. Hey, you don't fuck around with Crazy Ball. <laughs> Serious. It starts to rumble and glow even more strongly, so they hurriedly cover it up before Dad sees. Then Mom calls him in for bed. Aw, Mom, we're digging a hole to bury Luke. Yeah, I'm trying to kill my brother here. Come on. As Mom and Dad say goodnight, both kids separately ask about the existence of monsters. In a way, humans are the real monsters, so yes, they do exist, Luke. (laughs) The ground continues to glow, so Mimi and Luke chat about it through secret knock code. Also very funny that they're communicating incredibly complex sentences in, like, four knocks. <laughs> There's a lot of very, like, in-your-face jokes, but there are also a lot of little moments like this that really help the movie sing for me. Yeah, because the subtitle is just, like, two sentences worth of <laughs> Mimi saying something. It's just, like, knock, 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 knock. Right. Okay, and, and Luke totally understands everything that she's saying through those four right. knocks. And it's not basic words, either. No. <laughs> Suddenly, a hand shoots out of the dirt. Evil Dead style. Oh, hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs> we cut to an abandoned shoe factory where some goons are interrupted by a shadowy figure. Uh, I like to think this is a family business. They're each like a generation older than the other. Yeah. But it's not explained. No, not Which I all. like. I like that it's not explained. There's so much not explained. It's a family business. Yeah, there's so much not explained of like the side characters here and it's great. Yeah. The being uses telekinesis and magic and super strength to beat their asses. Ripping one heads off at once isn't cool. You know what's cool? Ripping two heads off at once. See, this is where the practical effects get get really fun. It's like, mm-hmm. and this is where I kind of venture away from like the gore porn where it's like very serious gore, where here mm-hmm. it's like obviously played in a very silly way. And yeah, it becomes I, comical for sure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. The next morning, the family discovers the pit left in the yard. Greg, the dad, is very affable, but also the seeds of his being kind of pathetic as well are laid here with his immediate shirking of filling in the hole and listing do the dishes, Greg, as an example of his being put upon. (laughs) He's clearly established as the one the kids like, but famously, you're not there to be their friend. He's also very diminishing to his wife, saying whatever left handprints in the pit must have been a wino who fell in. Not her stupid-ass idea of a raccoon. Get real, Susan. (laughs) Get it together. Get it together. But the kids exchange a knowing glance before heading to school, where we're also introduced to Luke's friend Alistair, who beat Ragemaster 64 on medium difficulty. 
Yeah, hey, bro. That, that was huge back in the day. I was beating any game back then. It was Dude, difficult enough. I uh, remember beating Pokemon Blue by myself for the first time and being like, this is the sweet taste of victory. Baby. I am the <laughs> ultimate gamer. <laughs> no one can beat me. That's right. That's right. I have Mewtwo. <laughs> <laughs> that night, they go out looking for whatever emerged from the pit. They're following these deep footprints through the woods to the factory. Where inside they find the exploded remains of the goons and the one guy he left to live forever in terror, which does startle the kids, we'll say, and their fear draws out the being. He monologues about how he's going to kill them and conquer the planet, and it's interrupted by Mimi, who discovers the gem that she grabbed controls PG. And she tests her control on him while he threatens them some more. I love when, dizzy from being spun, Luke stumbles backwards into the frozen goon and topples him over and his head explodes. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's shoehorned, if it's good enough. Like The fact that he was just like, oh, here's another spot for a crazy effect. I'm like, yes, put that in there. I want to see this crazy head explosion. Another one for the head exploding uh, letterbox list, by the way. I did add it. <laughs> nice. The chunk with his mouth weakly thanks Luke for releasing him while PG mourns his masterpiece, which is another very funny moment. I should say PG doesn't have a name yet. He's sometimes called the Archduke of Nightmares, but Mimi says that sucks. For me, Archduke of Nightmares, pretty good name. Yeah, pretty pretty solid. I mean, it's very funny that she just immediately is like, no, that's dumb. But you know, if she had come up with it, she'd be like, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> she does want to workshop it. For me... Rip Lord is the one they should have stuck with. <laughs> Rip Lord. <laughs> Although I am also a fan of Shadow Slammer and Dark Lord of Wonderful Smooches. <laughs> but look at this guy. He's the Lord of Ripping. Yeah. I, I love that PG reacts to the smooches like, no. Like, <laughs> the only time he's like, nope, you can't do that one. <laughs> they do ultimately land on Psycho Goreman or PG for short, notably a name that both kids contributed to, which I thought was an interesting touch. Yeah, we got Goreman and what's the psycho something? And then, like, yeah, let's put them together. Solid. That's right. Mimi sends the newly named PG to the corner and wait for them to return in the morning. Very funny, long bye. <laughs> as they head out. Across the universe, a council of aliens are like, ah, crap. The cosmic resonance says PG is back. Several delightful practical costumes here. You got a skeleton preserved in a robot and jar combo, which I th is always top tier. But that snake who leans into the hissing, also a classic. <laughs> Templar Pandora is a cool-looking robo-angel John who's like, we should have killed him when we had the chance, but I'll go finish the job now. It's my destiny. She does clearly look down on the rest of the council, saying the Templars were the ones who saved their planets, you scum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this council is a lot of fun. Lots of good costumes here. Mm -hmm. I mentioned him earlier that uh, he's on another podcast that I learned about this movie from. He got to play the brain in a jar guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that rules. I probably won't mention it too often because they are just kind of like intercut for comic relief here and there. But we do cut back to this council every so often to be like... <laughs> What do they think about what's happening on Earth? <laughs> maybe even a possible uh, post credit scene from them. Maybe, maybe. That one will probably come up, I admit. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, single-minded focus on PG's destruction does impact where protecting the indigenous population falls on her priority list. 
as she turns a newly captured human into a still-living meat cube that she then crushes and smears the blood on her face. So that's that's nice. <laughs> you also get this amusing juxtaposition between that and the hard cut to the pleasant music and two siblings taking Alistair through the woods to meet PG. It's just so contrasting while also reinforcing the movie as as imaginative as kids playing in the woods. Like I said, it really keeps hammering home that point that this is what kid what being a kid feels like. Do you think this movie takes place in modern times or do you think this takes place like in the 90s? Wow. What a question. It's uh it doesn't really matter either way, but cuz I feel like kids don't have quite the same like oh like the latchkey like oh we're just going to yeah. go wander around in the woods like That's true. She didn't have a cell phone to call dad. He had to do a secret magic thing to get Like it, it feels very much focused on like our age uh <laughs> demographic <Yeah>. here. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Hey, it worked. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> They check on PG, delivering him a TV to watch and some magazines, which breaks through his walls a little bit as he realizes that he just might care for hunky boys. <laughs> they ask him for some backstory, which he delivers, backed by some sweet synth. Born in a time before time, he was a slave to the Templars who demanded labor to serve their divine purpose. Then one day he discovered the gem of Paraxodite, which is what Mimi has been using to control him. He inserts it into his chest, which buffs him up, and he wants to destroy the Templars and take back Gygax. But now, his thirst for death is raised, and he wants to extinguish all life. So the Templars manage to capture him thanks to a planetary alliance, sealing him away with the gem. Goes to show, if you're going to destroy all the planets, do it one at a time. Yeah. These shots, I think, look really cool, like very, like, that campy kind of... Feels like almost uh, stop animation in a way. Of yeah, just, the like uh, compositing onto their really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Mimi and Luke are bored by the story, and they leave PG with some homework to watch TV and learn how to be more fun. And he realizes there's energy going through it, and he uses this to communicate with the paladins of Obsidian. Your master walks again. They promise to find him as the TV oozes blood, which rules. <laughs> Dinner that night is microwave chicken, as cooked by Dad, since Mom was busy filling in the pit in the backyard. When Alistair and Luke go to play video games, Mimi is pissed to be alone, especially since she has a crush on Alistair, so she summons PG to come play with her. Alistair being so normal, this kid, I think, is the secret sauce for this movie. <laughs> Every time he's like, no thanks to being asked to do something insane, I crack up. Every single time. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely the, the <laughs> I, I don't even know what to call him, but yeah, just the normal kid that's just like, yeah. oh, this is how we would probably react. <laughs> Some fun posters on Luke's wall, too. Cybertronic Warrior, not a movie, as I guessed, but a single from the Transformers-themed synth rock band Cybertronic Spree. <laughs> how about of, that? Of, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mimi has PG do some magic to Alistair as punishment for wanting to leave. And he is transformed into a hideous brain monster, which Mom actually sees. She runs out with a bat and attacks PG with it, which immediately shatters, which Greg runs out to freak out about his lucky bat being destroyed. Susan! God, Susan, what the hell? Not his lucky <laughs> bat. <laughs> always, it, Dad, always reacting to the most important things going on. That's right. That's absolutely right. Mimi convinces them to be cool, although PG continues to threaten them. 
I like how every time he does this, a little bit of background rock starts up, but like it cuts to silence while Mimi is placating them and just keeps bouncing back and forth. Really fun sound editing there. Yeah. Montage time as he becomes part of the family. Uh, Mimi does sing I'm the heckin' best with PG on drums, Jake on guitar, and of course, newly brain-formed Alistair on keys, intercut with PG becoming more of this friend, walking the dogs, practicing karate, eating donuts, exploding bullies, getting a makeover, the works. You know, turning into, um, what's his name from Jurassic Park? Dr. Alan Grant. He (laughs) sure as hell does. Turning into Dr. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park, looking great. Yeah, absolutely. Hey. If you're going to steal a look, steal from the best. Hell yeah. As he becomes more ingratiated, though, he can't help but clock how cruel Mimi is to her brother, even stealing his french fries. And so he visits Luke in the nightmare realm. I want my freedom, Luke. Help me get this gem and I might spare you. You can betray your sister. She's an asshole to you. And this is just the beginning. (laughs) Really playing, playing the siblings against each other. That's right. But Luke denies PG, who is impressed at his strength, and they have to wait there awkwardly until the dream is over. <laughs> oh my! The the like monsters in the ground just kind of moving around. Like <laughs> after he's like, "All right, well, uh, I guess we got to wait till the dream's over." Yeah, and everything just kind of it's a great like little set piece there, for sure. The next day, Mimi teaches them all crazy ball on the school playground. PG is in his Doctor Alan Grant costume, looking fly as hell. And the police screech in, freaked the hell out at this guy, and immediately opening fire. He blocks the gunshots and melts one of the cops into half guy from Robocop, half Max Ren in Videodrome with the gun arm. Uh, This is basically Biocop from a short film Steven had made in the form of a fake trailer. I uh, I really love Biocop, to be honest. Oh, I mean, this in this character, this cop character that just like randomly shows up here and there, just like you'll just see wandering around in the background here and there is so yeah. good. Miserable, please kill me. The note he hands uh, Mimi. Well, well, that was like when um, Luke killed or blew up the guy's head. He's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, <laughs> and it's just you, the yeah. mouth that says thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the other cop flees, but Biocop does get recruited into Crazy Ball. He's part of the crew now, baby. Yeah, is this when Alistair just wants to go home? And yeah. so and so Alistair just like it's like, all right, I'm gonna go home. Like, yeah. Okay, bye, Alistair. And you just see <laughs> for like a good 10 second shot of just this giant brain just kind of walking slop- through the field. Slopping around along the field. That's true. Walking is a very generous term for what's happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the escaped cop makes it back to the station where Pandora arrives in human form. She's no protector, though, as already established, sucking the memories out of the cop, which is upsetting. (laughs) Meanwhile, in the woods, the paladins of Obsidian arrive. PG is stoked. He tells them to kill the kids and free him. But they're tickled by this because, of course, they're here to kill him, babe. (laughs) These guys are also a fun, diverse group of monsters. Some kind of like Goblin King, Cassius 3000 with a robo parrot, a yokai witch, some swamp thing lady. And a washing machine full of skeletons played by Rich Evans of Red Letter Media. This is what Kostansky's doing while when he's not writing. It's just yeah. coming up with these the ideas for these characters. There you go. That, and that's the thing, you know, nobody else is going to wake up at like three in the morning and be like, I can't sleep. Let me fucking crank out this Cassius 3000 robot whose face <laughs> explodes off and there's just gooey eyeballs back there. <laughs> 
And this will showcase how many powers PG has that you don't even know about until it happens. Mm-hmm. He goes to fight them, but Mimi stops him with the jewel, pissed off that he said to kill them. So they just, like, beat on him for a while until she accepts his extorted apology, freeing him to fight. Uh, also, the cop mutant helps, although it's really just kind of random shooting, and eventually PG does have to, like, stab him in the head as well. Really fun scene. I honestly could have watched this even a bit longer, although I can understand that being difficult with all the bulky costumes. Yeah, I and I think they shot this whole scene in two days, is what I think right. I saw, which is like, it's like... That's a lot. I guess it also makes sense with all those costumes and all that makeup. It's like, all right, let's get this done as quick as possible. (laughs) Yeah, they did 16-hour days those days, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. The problem is the blades were cursed, so PG is dying despite his victory. Back at the house, Greg bought a new TV, tells Susan to pick up some extra shifts to help pay for it, since he's going to be taking some time off from work to let his hand heal. They fight, and it's very funny when he can't think of anything in the moment, and then it cuts to him taking a crap and playing out the confrontation differently to himself. So I want to bring up one last thing from the fight real quick, because I kind of alluded to it. When PG's jaw just unhinges and then just envelops the – I forget which (laughs) character The Goblin King. The Goblin King and just like – Eats him up like a snake and then just right. the vomits death <laughs> and then just vomits his blood all over the place. It's uh, upsetting, but a lot of fun. It's really fun. I love that they like know about it. He's like, I'm going to give you the warrior's death. And he's like, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks great, too. The practical effects on it uh, done really well. Mm-hmm. While Greg is in the bathroom arguing with himself. There's a light that appears there with him, suddenly expanding into PG's screaming head, demanding Greg find them, scaring him off the toilet. Big LOL from old Georgie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) He does find them, though, and they load PG into the truck and drive off, crushing the severed head of the yokai witch on the highway for good measure. When they arrive home, though, Pandora is waiting there for them. Mimi tells Luke to go beat her up, and PG is like, terrible idea, she will kill you immediately. And Mimi isn't concerned, reminding Luke of what PG said in the Nightmare Realm and prompting him to stand up for himself and go with mom. Good on you, Luke. The lines Mimi have been drawn. Out of the band, though. Yeah, the lines are drawn now. That's right. Susan attempts to persuade Greg to come inside and abandon PG, but in a combination of spite and loyalty to Mimi, he drives off with PG and Mimi to the factory. Their PG tells Mimi that the only way to save him is to give him the gem. And she's reluctant because of the various death threats from the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> but he says it's the only way and promises not to kill her or her family of idiots. And encouraged by dad, she's about to do just that. The story that Greg tells about going to see the baseball card collection, pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And you describe them. It's, yeah, this family full of idiots. And yeah. I mean... You know, maybe Mimi has a point in treating them all like a bunch (laughs) of idiots. (laughs) You're not wrong. Pandora reveals her true self to Susan and Luke. Susan is stoked on her look and drinks a potion given to her, turning into a friggin' Templar herself. And they go to the factory for confrontation time, baby. It's revealed that Luke actually snagged the gem out of the bag, promising to give it to Pandora after the family is safe. Susan is taunted by Greg, and she goes to whoop his ass while Mimi attacks Luke and Pandora attacks PG, so they have all squared up with their other, and uh, and it's a very fun fight scene. Yeah, lots of good stuff going on. 
I mean, yeah, it's brother against sister, PG against the Templar, and then, yeah, Susan against Greg. Despite the opposite appearance of each of these pairs, they are also very similar in a lot of ways as well. The Pandora and PG are both monsters who are hell-bent on destroying people. Mimi and Luke both actually love each other, even though they fight constantly. Yeah, Luke's just finally standing up to Mimi for the first time, and, you know, that's That's going to end in... There's a reason he hasn't done it before, I guess. And now yeah, any any pushing on the boundaries is going to have to result in a little conflict, but ultimately it's for the best. Yeah. PG deter or he demands a one-on-one contest to determine things if she's a real warrior, and so she agrees. So Team Hero is going to go up against Team Suck in a game of crazy ball for all the marbles or all the gems, for that matter. Just as the movie started. <laughs> it all comes down to Crazy Ball. In a moment of triumph, Mimi punches Luke for the switcheroo and they win the game. And Greg high fives PG and actually fucks up his hand now, which really made me laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, after after he got out of uh, filling in the hole because he said he hurt his wrist and now actually fully has a bone coming out of his arm from yeah. high fiving PG. <laughs> Disgusting compound fracture. Yeah. Pandora is like, oh, I was just faking. And tries to chop down PG, but Mimi jumps in front of him, and Susan jumps in front of her, deflecting the blade with her sick Templar suit armor. Mimi tries to get the gem out from Luke, and he doesn't exactly demand an apology, but he reasonably points out why it might be nice for her to do. (laughs) What a nice brother. So reasonable. He really is. She starts to sing, ultimately saying, hey, blood is thicker than water, remember the good times, it is kind of funny for her to double down here, and they're all just like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, sing a little, yeah, like just like a soft, slow version of the song they sang earlier, and it's right. like, all right, all is forgiven. A song about how you only love yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, you remember, you remember the good times. Pandora takes away Susan's power because she doesn't even deserve them with this betrayal, and she goes to kill them all when she's stopped by PG, now gemmed up. He builds a weapon out of chunks of Pandora that he rips off, which I gotta say, pretty badass. It's a badass weapon, yeah. And just <laughs> the way he goes about it, too. You're like, what is he doing? And all of a sudden, he's just putting these, like, gross pieces of her together. Turns into the, like, existence gun. Oh, yeah, the existence gun. Yeah. <laughs> they clash one final time with a frig off from PG while they do. Mimi taps out I'm sorry to Luke in their code, and the two hug. Aw. And PG wins after being enraged by Pandora, destroying his hunky boys. (laughs) And in his triumph, he fully claims the Psycho Goreman name before giving her the warrior's death and devouring her alive. Yeah. As only PG knows how to do. That's right. (laughs) PG bids the family farewell, still unsure of Luke's name, which is a funny sort of runner that I didn't really talk about. I like during the uh, crazy ball scene, too, we do get a shot of the council up in the universe watching the crazy ball go down and that's right. Make make a few like fun, nerdy jokes like I just don't get sports (laughs) (laughs) and like referring to like referring to crazy ball. It's like, oh, I don't understand these human sports. That's right. Hey, that's. It's not just for humans. She was champion of the universe. I, I'm just happy they didn't refer to it as sports ball. That's, that's true. Yes, that absolutely. would have been a little too winky there. That's too much, too much. He gives Mimi the gem as a keepsake, 
because he has discovered the power of love, which he will use to destroy the universe. <laughs> Except them, as promised. Mimi blows him a kiss, which he catches and returns, which absolutely cracks me up. <laughs> what a weird specific thing for him to have picked up. <laughs> It's always fun to have these movies where like an alien shows up and it's like, what would, what cultural things would they pick up from? I think more movies should copy extra where the thing that they learn is how to exist in a David Lynch hellscape. (laughs) (laughs) He departs through a portal to start his conquest of earth. And we jump forward uh, in time a little bit and over to Alistair's house as the news reports on a purple giant attacking the city. Residents describe Giant Man as dickless and terrible. (laughs) Great marquee on the news uh, broadcast there. And Alistair joins his family at the dinner table. You talked about sort of people reacting just very, like, stoically and, and not responding to things necessarily. Them having completely accepted Alistair and not responding to him being a giant, disgusting brain creature at all is yeah. that's just what, their son yes it's beautiful what a perfect yeah. family they love their child no matter what it's all about acceptance that's right puts a bow on things you know we have to check in with alistair at least one more time and it's the end quote unquote except for this after credit sequence that you alluded to where the alien council pulls out a gun and is like okay who wants to kill themselves first instead of face pg's wrath very funny stuff. What a, a dark, dark ending. Really, yeah, just putting a revolver down on the table and be like, okay, I guess they've got revolvers <laughs> in this uh, galactic council. That's right. That's right. And um, it's a really great sort of capper, I think. It goes out with this rap outro over the credits. Bang, bang, bang. Three great jokes right at the end. Leaves you feeling fuzzy as you walk out. What's not to love, right? You've got like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles style rap at the end to go out to the credits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And now, Dace, we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why it's not just a good horror movie, but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. All right. Well, Psycho Goreman is the best movie ever made because as I alluded to earlier, there's just a tightrope walk of just a whole balancing act done in this where if it goes in either direction, it's either going to be just too much like, okay, I get what you're trying to do. And uh, the other way, it's just not going to be as good Mm -hmm. between the visual effects. I mean, it really brings back, like it's a modern movie just showing you that like visual effects still rock. There's still people doing amazing work out there. Mm -hmm. You should go support them because we need to keep this kind of stuff alive because it it's just so much more fun than just a yeah. bunch of green screen CGI bullshit, you know? For sure. There's a lot of fun comedy in it, different levels of comedy, and also just a lot of fun, goofy horror, gore, everything you'd want in a fun horror movie. Yeah, absolutely. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it would be acceptable to me as a movie if it was just a practical effects showcase if the rest of the movie was dog shit and i just got to like look at these suits and people walking around in the suits the whole time i would be like still three stars Mm -hmm. but instead they do thread that needle of balancing the suit action with 
score that is comical in its own right and the actual comedy of the movie, the actors really bringing such a necessary stoicism and absurdism to their performances that are just remarkable. Every single actor and character has mm-hmm. to walk the tightrope and they all do it so remarkably. Yeah. I mean, I will say like, like you said, I, I was sold on this movie as kind of a practical effects showcase. And I was so surprised to see how much more there is to this movie. Yeah. I mean, the practical effects rock, mm-hmm. but like everything else about it just works so well together and it's, it's perfect. It's the best horror movie ever. And I also love that it's, also very easy for a movie like this to feel like you have discovered the joke and then that's the joke the whole time. And mm-hmm. for them to be like, isn't it crazy that this monster is hanging out with these two kids? That's not the case in this movie. They really keep things escalating in interesting ways, keep the relationship dynamics changing in, in interesting ways. They just really, it is a full good movie plus a full amazing effects driven spectacle mm-hmm. and and those two things combine into the best horror movie ever made yeah it's just a lot of fun hell yeah and ultimately that's the most important check mark yeah <laughs> dace i want to thank you so much for coming on the show man this was an absolute blast i've been dying to get you on the show and to talk about this movie so what a fortuitous combination of the two Please tell the people where they can find you, where they can watch your show on Twitch. I know you do video games on there as well, not just movie time. So I definitely want people to check that out. Let them know about it. Yeah, I stream on twitch.tv slash dace09. That's D-A-C-E-09. Um, the big draw is Sunday night movie time. We do a lot of fun stuff. I'll, we did a whole October of lots of fun horror movies. A lot of them based on movies I wanted to watch from this podcast. Hell yeah. So thank you, George, for doing this podcast because <laughs> I get to discover all kinds of fun horror movies through this as well. Cause I'm I'm just now starting to do the real deep dive into horror and I'm really having fun with it. I love that. I love that uh this podcast can do that for people. That is truly what it is ultimately all about. Uh so it means a lot to hear that. Thank you, man. Yeah, for sure. As far as my plugs, if people uh, are really enjoying the show, they can check out the Patreon, which is, you know, bonus episodes, all kinds of great fun stuff over there. Uh, we do these legal thriller things where I'm the movie judge and people argue the movie court cases, like what's the best skeleton in a movie? <laughs> and then I listen to them argue back and forth and make my decision and the the rulings are final. This is Judge Georgie, and uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Wait, as the best skeleton does Tarman from, uh, uh, was it Dawn of the Dead or uh, Night of the Living Dead? Which which one is it? The Return 80s? of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead. Does, yeah. does Tarman count as a skeleton? Uh, I would, but he was not offered up. So perhaps this question will have to come back because no one also mentioned the uh, Terminator 2 skeleton, which I think is the best. Wow. So there you go. (laughs) But yeah, so that's fun bonus episodes. Uh, We have done spotlights on really fun movies. 
that maybe don't fit best horror movie ever made, but certainly are deserving of being talked about, are interesting in some fashion or another. Uh, Michael Swain was on to talk about Synecdoche, New York in that way, which was really cool. I talked about The Blob 88 with Mike Mitchell on the Patreon, which was really great. So all kinds of really cool stuff over there. And uh, commentaries sometimes, which is also great. And you get early access. You get so much crap for the Patreon. I I also want to thank the patrons because I long ago made the active decision to keep this show ad-free because I also listen to podcasts and I know that ads are annoying as hell. They suck. I hate listening to ads. And so I said, what am I doing here? I don't, I'm not trying to make like a dollar (laughs) on my damn podcast, like by, uh, by doing by selling it out to these ads and so having patrons who are willing to support the show and and keep it going by just contributing to it directly is is really special and means a lot and it does help to keep the show ad free for everybody so there you go thank you patrons uh what else rate and review if you're enjoying the show and uh this is probably the last episode to listen to before the live show which is very exciting Uh, If you're in the Philadelphia area on May 4th, Star Wars Day, fuck Star Wars, get over to Philomoka to watch Tetsuo the Iron Man. Hell yeah. Paul Ritchie from Continue and Goosebuds is going to be the guest. We're going to be talking about Tetsuo the Iron Man after screening it live first. So it's going to be a jam-packed night full of very fun uh, Best Little Horror House in Philly uh, uh, events. So that that Philomoka tickets are on sale now at philomoka.org. Go buy them and show up and say hi. And I uh, would really love to not be talking to nobody there. So please show up. That sounds like a really fun night. And I wish I wasn't 3,000 miles away or else <laughs> I would definitely be there myself. There you go. You'll be there in spirit, though, buddy. And uh, that is it. Thanks, everyone. Bye.